0: Tech Central.
1: How are you doing? And welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast bringing you news and tech from around Ireland and across the world. Of course, you can hear Tech Radio on air on RTE, Friday evenings, or anytime you like with your favorite podcasting app from Apple, Google, Spotify, or others. We also keep you up to date as well daily on all things tech with hourly updates and daily newsletters. You can grab them for free on our website, techcentral.ie. My name is Dusty Rhodes. This is episode eight hundred and forty and joining me as ever is our Editor-in-Chief Niall Kitson uh, let's talk about what everybody is suddenly an expert in uh, the Electoral College Nebraska <laughs> the US election da 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 I don't actually want to talk about Donald Trump or Joe, Joe Biden or the election itself but There have been some very interesting uh, other votes going on, because when people went in to vote for who they want to be president, they were also voting for who their, I think, their congressman was going to be or their senator and other politicians. And a couple of states were running uh, referendums.
2: They certainly were. And uh, a couple of interesting ones going
1: on in California this year. In California this year, okay, yeah, I've got Portland, Maine, I've got Massachusetts. What have you got from California? Okay, in California, I think Prop Twenty
2: Four was the uh, referendum, basically that they were voting on, which is whether to consider casual workers like Uber drivers as employees or contractors. Oh, now this is
1: raging, isn't it?
2: It is um, all over the world. And uh, if you live in in, Ca- in California, well, guess what? You will be an independent contractor.
1: Oh, that's how it went. That's how it was voted, was that's it? How, that's how it went. That's how the vote went. Wow, that's interesting. I mean, there's there's, there's two sides to, to that and we won't get into it. Uh, Port of Maine, I thought, was a really interesting one. Okay. There was a story, it's all about face recognition, and there was a story uh, coming from the States, and I think it was New York, where police used face some face recognition national database in order to catch some really bad guy. Right. But it was the first time that they'd actually admitted that this database exists and that they access it. Ooh, yeah, right. exactly. So it was kind of like, you know, you can't blame them for doing it and, and the reason for doing it and they got the guy, which is fantastic. But hang on a minute. Uh, I I didn't know that database was there or mm-hmm. that they were using it. How did whenever, the end
2: justify the means?
1: Oh, no, it, it did very much so. All right. But does that mean that you then let facial recognition be used by police? Uh, for all kinds of things mm. i'm i'm i I don't like face face facial recognition I just don't like it, however, in Portland, maine, they were having a vote about whether to allow police to use facial recognition software, and the people in Portland, maine said no,
2: yeah yeah well Port- portland is a very liberal city uh well what does it they say keep portland weird uh it's- <laughs> It's sort of
1: the Brooklyn of of the West Coast really, isn't it? <laughs> I didn't know that. Portland, Oregon. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's Portland, Oregon. Portland Maine is on the other side of the
2: country. Oh, okay, right, different
1: yeah. different Portland. Okay. Way closer to home uh, yeah. literally. A uh, fair play to uh, Boston, San Francisco of also earlier on in the year uh, voted to ban facial recognition by police. And do you remember the story where Amazon, they've got their own facial recognition software called Recognition with a K? Right, okay. Marketing earning their money there. Uh, i tell you. Uh, but when the whole Black Lives Matter uh, was making headlines earlier on in the year, Amazon said that they did not want police to be using their uh, facial recognition software. Huh. So I think there's a little bit of a fight back to it, which personally I'm happy with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what else was going on in the well, election?
2: GDPR over here mm. There has to Mm. be a reason for data to be gathered about you. There has to be a legitimate reason for doing so. Uh, And of course, there's a length of uh, time, I think it's seven years, that you can actually have data in in a particular area held about you unless it's being used for a, a specific person uh, and that kind of thing. And if you're under investigation and your personal data uh, is being used against you, well, that's that's something you have to know about uh, as well. So to see America slowly catching up in these things is, is quite, mm. um, it's quite heartening.
1: There was another very interesting one, nothing to do with the law, but in uh, Massachusetts, uh, they voted for uh, a right to repair on car data. So... Like a lot of the modern cars now have got a, a this thing called a, an OBD port, all right? So you're mm-hmm. able to plug in, um, it's usually kind of some kind of a Bluetooth transmitter into it and then you've got an app on your phone and you're able to find out anything and everything about your car, about the engine and all of the sensors and all that kind of stuff. But what a lot of car manufacturers are doing is they are blocking some or all of that data so that only an official app is able to see the data. Hmm. Which means that you can only go to your local, um, just picking a random uh, Mercedes, Nissan, uh, Ford, whatever garage in order to get it done. Hmm. And which means that uh, it makes the process of you trying to find out what needs to be repaired or to try and repair it yourself almost impossible. You have to go back to the original manufacturer. Right, right. And Massachusetts had a vote about this uh, and it was particularly on car data more than anything else and uh, the people in Massachusetts voted that they wanted to have the right to repair on car data, meaning that manufacturers have to unblock and make all of the data available mm. yeah which i think which I think is good, but that kind of leads into the iPhone twelve mm-hmm. and with the right to repair. do you remember uh Oh, was it the the phones or was it the laptops with Apple? And one of the big things they said was about the battery. Mm -hmm. And they were saying that the battery was literally built into the board. Yes. And because of that, you couldn't use or change. It wasn't as simple as just opening it up, taking out a battery and putting a battery back in. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if that applied with the iPhone 12. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway, anyways, I was looking at a really interesting video during the week where somebody was doing a teardown on an iPhone 12. They bought two of them, Mm -hmm. two brand new phones. All right. And I said, all right, well, look, we're going to take it apart and we're going to be able to see if we can repair them. And the only way of getting spare parts is to buy a second iPhone 12 and see if I can move parts from that into the other phone. So two things very in- three things very interesting that uh, I learned from this. All right, the first one is trying to get the screen off an iPhone is a nightmare. Yeah, because you're so dealing with blue. adhesives as well as uh, exactly, as well as screws. Yep. exactly. And what this guy had to do literally was he had a he had a special unit, and what it does is uh, you would put a piece of electronics on it, and it will heat the actual. unit, It's like putting it onto your 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 uh, hob in the mm. kitchen. All right, it will heat up to eighty degrees all right, to melt the adhesive within the phone so that you were able to pry it off. Yeah. And he had difficulty doing it. And the second time he did it, he said he had to put the heat up to 120 degrees in order to pry off the the, the front of the phone. So yeah. I thought that was interesting in itself, That even opening the darn thing. But what do I see when we open the, the phone? A battery. All just sitting there, easily replaced. So I was kind of, oh, I said, that's interesting. Um, And then anyway, this is where it gets really, really interesting. He wanted to do a repair. So he said, "Okay." he took the logic board out of the phone, just the logic board. All right, right. And he took the logic board from the other phone and put it in and then put everything back together again. And the phone would not work properly. Would not work would not work properly. There were certain things the camera wouldn't work, the, the facial recognition wouldn't work. Uh, he would, there were several things that he wasn't able to do. And Mm. then he thought, well, maybe that's a problem with the camera. So he took the logic board out and he put in the original logic board and then swapped out the cameras between the two phones. Okay, Mm. now these are brand new iPhones and the official Apple stuff. Do you know what I mean? Mm. He's just swapping one from the other. He put the camera in. Same problem again. And then when he put everything back together again with all of the original logic board and the camera and everything, everything worked perfectly.
2: Yeah, you see, and the, this is the kind of shenanigans that the EU has been working very hard to uh, to prevent and to stop. Uh, I mean, last year, the right to repair requirements were passed by the uh, European Commission. And from next year, I think it's early, um, yeah, from next year, all TVs, monitors, fridges, freezers, washing machines, all sorts of white goods, they'll all have to meet a minimum repairability requirement aimed at extending everything's life cycle. So this whole thing of planned obsolescence, where mm-hmm. you'll get maybe three good years out of something and then it starts to decline. And mm-hmm. hopefully at some stage you'll notice enough to make you want to get a new one. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully that will be coming to an end. And, you know, the cycle of rapid um, uh, rapid turnaround on electronics will will disappear in favour of slightly more robust uh, products. Because you know, is there anything worse than having to replace Uh, a washing machine or rather the point at which you realise you have to replace your washing
1: machine because it's just gone and destroyed your kitchen floor. Oh, well, well, destroying your kitchen floor. But at at, at least if you're destroying or you're changing the entire washing machine because it's not working. I have no problem with that if it's not working or it's a major problem or it's old or whatever happens to be. Do you know what drives me crazy? Is when you buy something, all right, and it costs a couple hundred quid and then there's usually one small, tiny, little plastic thing that's essential. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, like a washer that or breaks.
1: Something. That yeah. breaks, okay? And now your your entire whatever it is doesn't work mm. and the only way to repair it is to get that thing. You go to the original manufacturer, do they have one? No, we don't make them anymore. Yeah. Rendering... Yeah. The whole thing useless, and you've got to go out and buy a, a new one, even do, though it's only literally one small little piece of plastic. Do you know? Do you know where this certain
2: technology comes into its own? I have one thing in my mind in particular.
1: I'm I'm thinking 3D printer. 3D printing. Yep. <laughs> 3D printing. Actually, Some, do you know what? That's a stunning idea.
2: Yep. Yeah. There, uh, uh, w- there's people do it an awful lot with car parts, especially vintage car collectors. That, uh, you know, an awful lot of this stuff just isn't being made anymore. And, you know, what are your options? Like you you go to uh, a breaker's yard or something or a junkyard and try to try to find something uh, pretty unlikely. Uh, or maybe, you know, an, another enthusiast who might have a, a line to someone uh, like a fabricator or something, or, or you yeah. can just get a model uh, or get a schematic of the part you want and get it printed. Which, which of the unreal. above options are you most interested in?
1: Uh, I'm definitely. I'm kind of interested in the printer, um, because I can think of there's a food processor type thing in the kitchen, yeah. And one of the things, the the little rubber thing that goes to the seal, mm-hmm. breaks from time to time. All right, and you get a spare one in the, in the box, so they know that these things break, but mm. can't get a replacement for the seal. They don't oh. do them. Which means then that we have to replace the entire um, unit, which drives me nuts. So mm. in that particular circumstance, the 3D printer would be fantastic. Mm. Or if you have a little plastic nugget or something like that, falls off something. However, I had another circumstance where I definitely would not want to use a 3D printer. Okay. I had a car once upon a time. Uh, I had one of those, uh, little, they call them the hairdresser's Porsche, all right, a little 207, mm. where the roof comes down. And I got—I bought it because I knew that the gearbox was dodgy and it would probably need to be replaced and stuff like that. And I look—I just wanted to run around the block with with the roof down, and then realised you can't do that very often. Um, but, <laughs> Good investment, Dusty. <laughs> there you go. But anyway, when I got it first, I was kind of going, "Grand, well, look, I'll I'll, I'll get a new gearbox and I'll stick it in." Um, do you think I could buy one? No. Exactly. No. The only way of getting a gearbox for the darn thing, because the manufacturer had stopped making them, was to go to a breaker's yard and to get one from a crashed car. Mm. Yeah. It's like, so I didn't want to be doing that because you wouldn't know whether the gearbox is any good or not. Uh, and I certainly wouldn't use a 3D printer. Mm. And yeah. I hope. Anyways. So that's back to uh, Massachusetts with their right to repair voting on that uh, and the iPhone 12. And I hope Apple are listening to that because mm-hmm. it sounds like, uh, you know, kind of they're doing something very, very iffy there with their iPhone mm-hmm. uh, where you can't repair it yourself. But you know, another annoyed.
2: good example of America slowly catching up with our standards over here and the difference between a pro-citizen model like we have over here and a pro-business mm-hmm. model like they have over there. Uh,
1: very good. Now, listen. Speaking of Apple, we are all agog and kind of excited to see uh, that they have got another event, a third one, a last one of the year, maybe. Uh, Apple, one more thing has been announced for next Tuesday, the tenth of November. Now, what's our guess about what they're going to announce?
2: Certainly has. I mean, the the last announcement that they did, um, they talked quite a bit about Apple Silicon, which is you know their their first generation of machines away from Intel. Uh, I mean, the, the Apple-Intel partnership was was spectacularly successful, uh, mm. I think it's fair to say. I mean, before the uh, the G-chips, I think IBM made, then the Intel partnership with the the i-series. Uh, and now they're going on and they're making their own uh, Apple Silicon. I think AMD are their, are their partner there. I think it is. Not sure. It's their own brand, though, Apple Silicon. And uh, they say it's fantastic because Apple. Uh, and the inside of the computers that we ha that are coming out using it look fantastic because Apple they look very elegant uh mm. on the inside. Um and it's yeah, apparently our first view of them will be on Tuesday. And yeah, a new a new range of MacBooks. Does that sound familiar? If you bought a MacBook yeah. in the last 12 months,
1: yeah. guess what? <laughs> yeah. I'm, if you, if I'm you
2: actually if you bought a current generation MacBook, uh, 13 inch with the better process with
1: the better keyboard. You're already out of date. Mm, well, look, that's that's what happens with MacBook and, and laptops. Anyway, you're always out of date twelve months mm. later. I'm uh, I'm kind of excited and I'm also terrified.
2: Okay, let's get to the excited bit.
1: Uh, the exciting bit is, uh, I think actually, Apple Silicon uh, could work because they are doing what Apple do best: is they are pairing the hardware with their software, which is um, always everything, been their thing. Yep. Oh yeah, but it does it work? Mm. Do you know what I mean? It just absolutely works fantastically because they are literally able to engineer the hardware to work exactly with the software and vice versa. Mm. And that is kind of one of the strengths and also, and also one of the weaknesses of Apple. So I think with them coming up with their Apple Silicon, I think this is good. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think what we've seen, uh, they've put into their phones and their tablets and stuff like that. I think, yes, they're going to go into the MacBooks. And I think what we're going to see with the MacBooks is more speed, uh, that they will uh, operate much faster and more efficiently. And importantly for me, less heat.
2: Yes, because you do an awful lot of processor intensive applications.
1: Exactly. And I would be doing it for long periods of time at at, at a go and the laptops at the moment just can't handle that. And Mm. the fan is going. And the whole point of having a laptop for me is that you don't have the bloody fan noise. Mm.
2: Yeah, well, and portability.
1: Um, portability, not so, not so much, um, because I'm not travelling every day. Portability, mm. if I had to travel somewhere on a plane or something like that, I'd have to bring the MacBook with me, absolutely. Um, so I am excited uh, about that. However, um, because I'm a bit of an old elephant at this stage, uh, I do remember when Mac moved to Intel. Yes, it was, and what, the 2007, 2008? Whenever it was. Long time ago, all right. Mm. But what happened was, shortly after they moved to Intel, was all of a sudden, a lot of their software and their operating system wouldn't work with non-Intel processors. Yes, I remember. I remember well. All right, which meant then that you, and we're getting back to the, the right to repair, it meant you had to replace the entire damn thing in order to have a working computer. Hmm. Yeah. And I think that's going to happen again. So yes, we will have more speed and less heat and all that kind of stuff, all right. Uh, and then of course their operating system will work with it because it's designed to, but will your software work with it?
2: Yeah. I think I think the last version of OS ten that had to deal with that was OS ten Tiger. I think mm. that was sort of the the bridging point. And there was an app in there called Rosetta. Uh, mm. Which I think its purpose was to make things work uh, on the last year on the G4s uh, and of course G5. There there were if you remember the giant G5 tower. I'm sure you you had one um, yeah. over to the first Intel uh, Max. So there there was that sort of bridging application, but I, I'm sure it was patchy. Yeah,
1: well. well, I remember I can't remember it was the G3, three G5, one of the Gs, anyways. Uh, and we had Pro Tools running on that and we had just the most amazing plugin, which we absolutely loved. It was our favourite, favourite, favourite thing about it. OK. Yeah. Uh, and then they went to all Intel and we upgraded a great cost to go Intel and then discovered that this plugin would not work. Yeah. And then we're on to the manufacturer. What's the story? What's the story? And they went, it's too much. Uh, we're not going to develop it for Intel. It was like, vumph, gone. Wow. Overnight. Yeah, our, 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 overnight, yeah. So, I mean, thankfully, we didn't throw out the old gear. So, if we ever needed mm. a <laughs> particular effect or whatever, we could still use it. But of course, you know, when it's not there, you don't use it. So, that—that that is, I am actually, because I'm very much in the market at the moment for a, for a new MacBook. Hmm. And I would like to get the, the 13 inch or the 16 inch. Um, the, the reason I would go for the 13 inch is for space and the fact that I would have this connected to my own monitor and keyboard and mouse setup anyway on the desktop. Mm. Yeah. that's how I would use it. so having a fancy 16 inch high end uh, uh, display on a laptop is a bit of a waste um, however the 16 inch also comes with much higher processors uh, faster speed more RAM da 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 and it's higher spec and all so yeah and then I have that worry then about Apple Silicon and with the new Mac uh, B- Big Sur is it all going to work with the software that I have <sighs> modern <sighs> times huh I tell you I tell you. Listen, one last story uh, for uh, today, and that is WhatsApp. OK, right. Which which it seems the entire world is uh, working with, you know, kind of the, the more everybody else is getting into this remote working thing, like you and I have, have been doing for a long mm-hmm. time. Um, it's interesting to to talk to more and more people around the world because my, my work team has expanded greatly. Mm-hmm. And when I'm talking to people, their work teams are expanding greatly. Like I'm talking to a guy in Cork and he's going, yeah, yeah, well, I work. Well, I've, the, my main team is in San Francisco. <laughs> And I've got another couple of lads I work with in uh, in in Dubai. Uh, mm. Who was I was talking to? Yes, I won't mention any names, but another company that was he does all the marketing for uh, for Europe uh, and Ireland. And he says uh, very little of it is actually in Ireland. Most of it is with marketing teams around Europe. So he's working with people in Germany and Italy and Spain and whatever else. And all of these people all use WhatsApp.
2: <laughs> yeah. so right, now. Except here's here's the thing, right? Everybody uses WhatsApp, and it's sort of the acceptable. You know, mm. version of Facebook. Um, uh, but are you using? And this is a choice I've really noticed ramp up in the last few weeks: Zoom or Teams.
1: Ah, uh, I am. Um, I don't use Teams myself, but I have had people connect to me using Teams. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, Zoom, of course. Uh, I think I actually think. What the, the, what's the point of your question here? What are you getting at?
2: Well, I'm just saying that for we'll say lockdown version one, it was mm. all about Zoom. Yes, I agree. Right. Uh, all of a sudden, video calls had had found their feet in the zeitgeist, despite the fact that we've had Skype for years and years and years. Mm. Um, but really, Zoom became a, a daily thing. Right. Lockdown version one. Lockdown version two seems to be all about Teams. I am getting more requests for Teams calls than Zoom calls. Uh, Zoom seems to be a a platform of choice for um, uh, events, whereas Teams seems to be becoming the secure meeting platform.
1: Well, I think if you're in the Microsoft side of things and you're using Word and you're using Excel and PowerPoint and yada, Teams makes absolute sense, doesn't it?
2: Kind of does, yeah. Now um, I, I, I'm not as comfortable with it because I I'm just not. I mean, the, I actually I think this week's interview was done over Teams, uh, so there you go. Maybe
1: a, maybe a case in point. <laughs> yeah, that that could be a good thing and maybe not such a good thing. Who knows? Yeah.
2: Keep your, <laughs> keep your ears peeled, folks. Let's go one or two ways.
1: <laughs> Anyways, listen, WhatsApp. Uh, I was going to tell you about yeah. Uh, the one thing I find with when I'm trying to clear space on my phone is that WhatsApp eats up an enormous amount of space. It surely does, yes. And it's generally because of all of the, the photos and everything and the videos that people are swapping and they just constantly always sit on my phone. Uh, WhatsApp are also are bringing out a new feature and it's rolling out worldwide this month where the app will automatically delete messages after seven days. Okay, messages and pictures or just messages? Well, you see, that's the thing. Like, if you have auto download set up on your phone, you're going to automatically still save all of those darn things to your phone. Yes. Yeah. Um. But
2: do I have but, to go over to my mom's house and click a button? <laughs>
1: Uh, oh no yeah I know exactly what you mean yeah oh I know exactly what you mean I'm the same with my dad like yeah can you just tell me how to do this okay now can you see on the screen up in the top right hand Uh, no hang on a minute now let me get my oh yeah drive you nuts um it's those you would, darn default I'm, settings, Dusty. Uh, well, well, listen, yeah, exactly. Well, you, you're probably going to have to go over, but I don't think there'd, there'd be a rush on it. Um, anyway, the, the good thing about it is it will delete the messages after seven days. And actually, that's quite good for conversations as well, because do you really want to have all of these little messages that you sent out six months ago being referred to when people want to?
2: Yeah, yeah. These things do reach a, a certain ridiculousness. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's nice yeah. to have, you know. Uh, it's all about the group, really, as opposed to what's said in it. You know, once the conversation um, is over, you're done. You I know, sp- there's I, if I, I you're sp- using WhatsApp properly. There's there is no there's exactly. no um, real value in archiving things
1: except for um, pictures. Well, listen, uh, keep an eye out for that. Uh, rolling it, as I say, on WhatsApp over the uh, next uh, month. Listen, uh, that is it for uh, our news this week. Now, thank you very much. No problem.
0: This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Oh. Earlier
1: this year, DSS became the first hardware reseller in Ireland to achieve Certified Women's Business Enterprise by WeConnect International. The CEO of DSS is Fiona Daly, and she sat down with Niall Kitson to talk about the award and the importance of tech companies managed exclusively by women.
2: So, Fiona, we've uh, in the segue we talked about this um, very important certification that DSS has achieved, and it's also a little bit of a, a first for Ireland, is it not?
0: Yes, that's right. Um, We're the first um, certified, diversified hardware supplier, supply chain company within Ireland. So um, it was um, something that Intel brought to our attention. Uh, We've been working with Intel for a number of years now, and they said it was something that would suit our company very well. So I um, set up a new company, DSS, and we worked with WeConnect International. Um, which is a really interesting organization. It's all about um, obviously getting women into business and other, other um, they deal with other diversity as well, but also getting women into senior positions in business and supporting other women in business. So um, it was quite a stringent due diligence process working with WeConnect, but um, they're a good organization to work with. They're international, um, uh, a lot of U.S. presence as well. So it probably took about two months, really, to go through the due diligence process and for them to get to know me and a number of interviews, et cetera, and a lot of due diligence on paperwork until we got certified.
2: Wow, so quite quite a, an extensive process that, that you had to get through. One of a really interesting quote that I came across in, in recent weeks was uh, you can't be what you can't see. So to what extent do you think that element of mentorship or visibility uh, Will play to your to your credit really in in DSS as sort of a a women run business and showing other women that look either join us and progress your career or look it can be done.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's a massive thing in Ireland and globally as well. I think women need to see that women can achieve senior positions, and I'm a firm believer that until we have more women. In senior positions in the boardrooms, etc., things won't necessarily change because women are needed in senior positions to drive changes within culture, etc. So I think once, um, you know, one really good thing is we're seeing a lot more grads coming through the STEM um, disciplines from the universities, etc. So if you look at our company and you see a young grads coming in in their early twenties, and they're seeing a woman, you know, a female CEO. They know that they can they can achieve it. Whereas from my own perspective, when I was in my early twenties, um, I I was in a law firm in in Dublin, and there were two female partners in the in the firm versus, I guess, maybe twenty male partners. However, these women, I always got the impression they certainly did not have it all. Um, I think they had to make huge sacrifices along the way in relation to family life, et cetera, to get to those senior positions. And it wasn't necessarily something I wanted to emulate. Whereas now, I think if you can get women into senior positions, they'll understand challenges that occur, particularly at certain pivotal points in a woman's life, Um Obviously, not everyone has children, but if you've got young children, that's the time where I think we need to ensure that women stay in the workforce and to support them through those tricky years so that they can, um, you know, keep their confidence, stay in the workplace and see that it is achievable to have a family dynamic and stay in a senior position within a company.
2: That is certainly a problem that uh, I've seen uh, have has been tried to uh, be addressed is that issue of women leaving the workforce and then being very reticent about returning, whether they're concerned about their, their skills have atrophied or, you know, their, their career may have passed them by in, in some respects. Have you come across that problem much, that women just feel that they've, they've taken too much time out, that the game has passed?
0: Yeah, I, I definitely do. I think I see it in um, my work life, also in my personal life with friends. Um, it seems to be a confidence issue. And I think it's something that can be learned unbeknownst to a lot of women from a very early age, um, where they would see, I think there's some stats whereby, you know, if um, if you're looking at um, job specs, you know, a woman won't apply unless she feels she can do like 90% to 100% of what's on the job spec, whereas a man is a lot more likely to go for it with, um, you know, I don't know, 50%. I'm, I'm not sure in the stats. But I think it's a confidence issue that it's a learned behaviour in women that we we weren't, this my generation didn't know it was learning. But I feel there's a change. I can see it in the younger generation already that are coming in. There's less of that kind of apologetic approach and there's more of a, well, why not? So I do think there's a change coming, but I still think those pivotal years of um, having young children and trying to create keep a career going is tricky. Um, and if you leave the workforce, it is hard to return. From what I see with um, you know colleagues and other friends, but I'm seeing a lot more people going back in because companies want these women, and most importantly, they're finally realising you have to be flexible. And ironically, COVID could play it could play for and against women. Hopefully, it'll play for them because it will recognize that women are such dedicated and um, have amazing work ethic. Um, and even though they may have to, I don't know, leave at two o'clock to pick up a child, they're the type, they're the, that work ethic is ingrained where they'll log back on later if needs be. So as opposed to work-life balance, I think it's a lot more work-life integration is uh, where we're going to hopefully end up.
2: I think that's something we're all finding in our in our working models, where we have to work from home as much as we do at the moment. That uh, it is just work becomes a, a shift in mindset as opposed to a geographical shift as well. Do you find that is is then it's it's a good coping mechanism, I suppose, for for anyone that is decided or has. At home, working foisted upon them that it can be done. It's, you know, so long as you can manage your mental space as much as you had been able to manage your physical space.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's that's something everybody's struggling with at the moment. I think there's going to there's going to be a new way of working that's going to have to come into effect for this to for, for companies to succeed. And that people are going to have to be encouraged to be disciplined and to know when to walk away from the laptop. Um, there was certainly more boundaries I think when you physically left the office you left it behind um so that that is challenging, and I think we all we we're all feeling it at the moment. it's obviously a lot more extreme now um and I think it's something that women do feel as well, and that the day is not stopping. But equally, if you can stay in a job that you love and that you're good at and your career is progressing, your salary is increasing and you're part of real change and you're seeing cultural change as well. I think most women would definitely prefer that. Then some women, you know, take a step back in their careers or a sidestep as opposed to going for promotions because they feel they have no choice and they have to do this in order to facilitate family life as well.
2: And I suppose when you have this change in working model, there's the change in the office dynamic as well, where And you're not necessarily subject to the same level of scrutiny in terms of office politics or, you know, the the basic stuff of who's wearing water, who's getting on with who at the moment. If you're working primarily from home and you're limiting the amount of interaction you have with your peers down to literally cause and effect and who's actually doing their job, that must uh, play to people's strengths in a lot of ways as well, where their work can stand for them because they're not physically standing at the water cooler.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's interesting. And I remember when I first started out again in my 20s, I had a friend who was extremely ambitious and she decided she was going to get golf lessons like we were 24. And her whole logic on, you know, progressing her golfing career was so that she felt there was still a lot of decisions made on the golf course. So, she didn't want to be left out, you know, um, because traditionally it would have been more a male thing that, you know, go for a golfing day and, you know, you could come back and close the deal. So, I always remember that as being, you know, very well thought through. Um, and then there would have been, you know, the rugby, entertainment, et cetera. Whereas I think, as you say, the dynamic has shifted now and it is very much based on your your achievements at work. Um, equally, I think it can play against more introverted people who may not be as good at calling out their achievements. And again, that comes back to confidence, um, which I think the younger generation of women is better at, um, calling out their successes. And, you know, would be a fine balance, but more of a look at me, I've done this, I've done that. Whereas I think women have suffered um, with that in the past and um, maybe aren't as vocal as their, their male peers
2: So in looking at the makeup of your company at the moment and the sort of talent you're uh, you're attracting, um, are you finding that it is that sort of, that that there is sort of a a golden period, I guess, in somebody's life when they're growing up that is so important that they can make these uh, life-changing decisions like, yeah, I I can go ahead and do a degree in engineering or do a STEM degree or something like that. And having got that academic background, behind them, actually it it proliferates into the rest of their career, if you will, having gained that confidence in maybe a different field, perhaps one that traditionally would have been associated uh, purely with men.
0: Yeah, I, I think um We're certainly seeing that um, in in the STEMs, as I say, with the the graduates coming out, when we're doing um, in um, Kodak and with DSS as well, when we're doing our our arts um, going around the various colleges, we're seeing a lot more women in the STEM. Um, and I think it's because, you know, I think even the change with the leaving search, you know, extra points for maths et cetera, there's, you know, there has been good work done by the government as well, promoting these areas. And just word of mouth, people know that's where the money is and coding, etc. And just um, encouraging and changing the stereotype, you know, um, so it, it's getting them in and then also promoting the the senior positions. And there's other positions outside of STEM, for example, sales. Uh, We've just recently hired uh, our senior salesperson into DSS, into the supply chain model. And um, it took us a long time to find the right female for that position. Uh, But obviously, being a diversified company, we're we're, um, passionate that we would get the right female sales lead. And um, she's doing a great job now. But again, I think it's down to confidence. So hopefully, in tandem with the STEM shift, we'll also see it from a sales perspective as well. And just less of a a questioning and more, this is just the way it is. I'm hoping in the future, these conversations obviously won't even need to be had. But certainly at the moment, I think a stat I read recently was that there's only 4% of Irish companies are female-owned, which obviously there's a lot of work to, to do as a result
2: yeah, it's, it certainly sounds like there's there's still a monumental challenge out there, uh, whether it's yeah. you know, trying to break glass ceilings that are, are still there, d- despite sort of the world moving on in a, in a lot of respects. Um, do you think those ceilings will naturally recede as there is sort of a, a generational shift? Like you talked about young people coming through and they have this sense of confidence. Do you think it's... Uh, It's kind of as we see the boomer generation filter out the workforce, there might be a a natural change in culture. Or is it a case of these these structures have been in place for so long that they do require a concerted effort or concerted policies to, to actually get things to change?
0: I think it's a combination of the two. I do think we need concerted policies as well. And the states have been, um, you know, we can look to the US in a lot of ways. They're, they're well ahead of us in relation to diversity. Um, in the, At the moment, the only way you can get certified as a diversified company within Ireland is based on gender balance. Whereas obviously in the states from an ethical, um, ethnic uh, perspective and lgbt etc there's a lot of other ways and um, i also do believe that things have to shift on a home dynamic so we celebrate international women's day every year in kodak and in dss and it, it's a big day for our company and originally when we started celebrating a number of years ago it was kind of a female we used to do it with our our female customers and clients and staff and then i was talking to um my peers in the company, and we are like, we have to involve um, the male perspective into this or nothing will change. And one thing that I'm seeing is when we have our International Women's Day events now, we'd probably have a 50-50 representation from within Kodak and DSS of our, our male colleagues and female colleagues and customers as well. And uh, Microsoft, who's our partner, is a huge advocate of... Um, of changing the gender balance as well and you have to involve 100% of the population not just 50% of the population so I guess to answer your question I think there's a number of ways you have to target this I think the government has a role to play I think the um, the universities, et cetera. I think every boardroom has a role to play um, in developing, you know, flexible working hours and in their recruitment policies. And I think on the home front, on the domestic front, um, you know, I've heard somebody say until there's equality at home, there's never going to be equality in the workplace. Um, and I think that's something that my generation is challenged with. But as I see the younger women coming up, I see them less accepting of taking on a lot of the domestic duties and childcare. I can see that being spread more equally going forward, which will facilitate uh, women getting into senior positions.
2: Just to finish up on a, a final point about, I, I guess, the the next stages of diversity as a company that's women run. Do you look into your or internal organisation and go, OK, look, we're we're doing very well with female representation. That's that's what we do. But look, there are other groups out there that might still be marginalised, that still aren't getting the recognition or finding a, a safer space to work. And, you know, what can we do with that? How can we help out other groups?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a, that's a, a really um, good topic for Ireland at the moment, for Ireland Inc as well. And we're very lucky, actually, in the IT industry where we are and that we do recruit um, a huge amount from abroad. And lucky Anna, it's harder to get people because it's such a competitive industry. But I would um, say about 50 to 60% of our workforce are foreign nationals um and i think at one point we do a concept called um international day every month or we we used to do it in the office it's moving online at the moment whereby we we um one of our staff members puts forward their country and we celebrate that country that month and they educate their colleagues about the country and we get the local cuisine and the local beer or whatever it is and i think at one point we had 30 different nationalities within the company um and then just in relation to, to getting different, you know, um, more minority groups into the workplace, Codex also working with a charity called Ruhanna and Microsoft um, is also um, potentially getting involved with us as well. And that's a charity which works with um, people who have been trafficked um, into Ireland. So a lot of different ethnicities, a lot of African nations. And um, I'm personally mentoring with them they have a module called shaping your future whereby you work with the women um just to work with their interview skills and um a lot of these women won't have worked in corporates before but it's very much trying to um re-educate them into back into or into life in Ireland a lot of these women won't have any knowledge of how Ireland has worked um when they come out of where, where they've been um, and then they've also got a program for work placements etc which is something we're also exploring. So to answer your question I think yes there's a huge amount of road for diversity within Ireland. I think it's great that it started with the gender balance and I think there's still a lot of work to be done on the gender pay gap. Um, personally I've worked in the States, I've worked in um, Europe and Ireland. I think Ireland is is easier for females. and There's less of discrimination you would see in the workplace. But I think it will be interesting with legislation coming in now on the gender pay gap, how we compare to other countries. And once it's going to be publicised, how that changes.
1: And that was Niall Kitson chatting with Fiona Daly, the CEO of DSS. That's it for our show this week. Remember, as always, you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more from our website at techcentral.ie or listen to us each week online or Fridays on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty, and from Niall, thanks so much for listening have a great weekend.
0: Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie.